Good morning, everybody. Hey, we are going to jump right in. We are studying uh, the book of Acts this fall. And uh, if you don't have uh, one of these, then, uh, and also, can we do this? If you have an empty seat next to you, would you scoot in? We've got people in the back that are still trying to find a seat. Or if you'd like to share your seat with somebody, would you raise your hand? If you don't have one of these, we bought one of these for every one of you. And the reason that we bought one of these for you is so that you could take notes in it and make this a personal journey for you as we study through the book of Acts. This is a copy of the book of Acts. So raise your hand if you don't have one of these and Ian will bring one to you. If, uh, if you want a copy of the book of Acts and a cup of coffee, if you would raise both hands, Ian will <laughs> give you the Bible and the power of coffee. Um, they're all, uh, we'll come back next week. We'll get you one next week. So we're in chapter four. But before we go there, if I want to sum up the entire book of Acts for us and what we're studying and why we're studying it. The whole book of Acts is uh, the Apostle Luke's. This is his recording of the history of the church and how it got started. And he's writing for two reasons. He's writing so that we would know, but he's also writing because he, he wants to bring renewal in our lives because he knows that when we experience renewal in our lives, it, it always leads us to mission. Like when we experience renewal, it moves us to action. In fact, it's also the reverse, that sometimes when we're not experiencing renewal, if we move to mission, it actually brings renewal uh, into our lives. And so, um, so this whole renewal mission thing is a part of what the book of Acts is about. And the best way I can help you understand that it has, is if you can imagine, have any of you ever run a half marathon? A marathon, nobody? Well, do any of y'all get off your couch? All right, a couple of you, if you run a 5K. Okay, well, many of you are gonna have to use your imagination because you've never run in your life, you know? But for some of you, uh, when you're running, there, you hit this thing, runners called the wall, and it's when, you know, you don't know if you can go any further. You start to question your very existence. You wonder, why are you doing this? You know, who are you trying to impress? All that kind of stuff. Reclaim your youth. And you get to a point, and some of you have had this experience where you get to a point, and there's all your friends and all your family who have gotten up super early to go get donuts so that they can eat donuts on the side of the road and drink coffee and cheer you on. And you see them, and... It, when they're going, come on, you can do it. It'll, it literally lifts you up. There's renewal and you're just, you're pumped. You're like, yes, there they are, you know? And it brings renewal. And listen to how silly it would be if you were to run off the track and go, oh, hey guys, I can't believe y'all came out. This is amazing. Thanks for being here. What are y'all drinking? Give me a donut. And you sit down and just start talking to them. This is awesome, man, and I've been running for the last two and a half hours, and whoo, the course is harsh. Like, there was this person 30 years older than me that blew by me about like four hours ago. Like, eventually, what are they gonna say? Hey, get up. You're not running to this spot to meet with us for renewal. We're giving you renewal so you can continue your mission. And see, that's why a lot of people, I think, they, they come to church and they go, man, I just don't know, man, church just doesn't do it for me anymore. You know, you know, you know I just I find Jesus outside. I don't find him in the community. And a lot of times we get stale in our own religion and our own faith because we've experienced renewal and we have stories of that, but we kept it from moving us to mission. 
And when we move to mission, we begin to get into the cycle of renewal. So that's what we're studying. You ready? Some of you are like, wait, that wasn't the sermon? Nope, more renewal coming. So before we read chapter four, let me remind you what's happened because it's part two of last week. Part two, in chapter three, Peter and John, apostles of Jesus. Remember, Jesus had uh, been tried, crucified, uh, was dead, and then he was buried, and then he rose again, and he appeared to the disciples, and this launched the church. And they experienced Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falling down, and Peter and John, they're walking to the temple, and they make eye contact with a guy who's crippled, who sits outside the temple gates and begs every day. That's how he makes his living. And they make eye contact, and the guy expects them to give him money, and Peter gives that, you know, silver and gold I have not, because that's how they talked back then. And he goes, but what I do have, I give you. Get up and walk. And the guy got up and walked. In fact, he got up and walked and went berserk. Like he like was dancing and jumping and screaming and making a scene. And everybody at the temple was like, whoa, this is the guy that's been crippled his whole life. My whole life, I've seen this guy crippled. Something big has happened to him. And it gathered a huge crowd. That's where our story begins. But it's 31 verses, okay? And if you're like me, it's hard to listen to somebody read for that long. Uh, so can I give you some, some things that I want you to listen for, all right, that might help you when Allie comes to read? The first thing that we want to see is that Peter, when the crowds all gathered around this guy, he started preaching. That's in chapter 3. But what we see is that this was not just ordinary preaching. This was pretty outrageous stuff because 2,000 people came to faith as he's preaching. So this is a big crowd, and this is a big moment in the life of the church. In verse 4, it says, and their numbers grew to 5,000. Pentecost was 3,000, so that means 2,000 came to faith here. But then I want you to notice that the reaction of the people in power is they threw Peter, John, and the man they healed into prison. Just take note of that. And then something crazy starts to happen in this passage. Look at verse 8. Let me go to... In verse 8, wait, let me get to chapter 4. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. So, there's something going on here. Because look again at verse 31. After they prayed, that place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, a part of renewal is filled. What does that mean? The next thing I want you to take note of is when they got filled, not just Peter, but also the entire church at the end, it immediately produced words. They began to speak. But sandwiched right in the middle is this very, in verse 13, it's this very interesting, as they're appearing before the authorities, what they were astounded by was not the resurrection of Jesus. They weren't astounded by the guy that was healed. They weren't astounded by, they've seen that guy for 40 years not be able to walk, and now he's walking and jumping around and standing right behind them. They were astounded by courage. That's what we're going to talk about. Renewal that leads to courage. So ready? Allie, come on up. Guys, give it up for Allie. She's reading 31 verses of the Bible. Like, 
pause and just thank God you weren't asked to do this, all right? (laughs) Okay, 31 verses, here we go. Yes. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By, the, by what power or what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together in the Gentile, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see? In Christ's name, amen. So it's an incredible story. Peter and John, they preach, explosion of God's work. Powers that be come in, shut them down. 
put them in prison. Next day, examine them. Like, who are you guys? They're trying to figure out how to shut these guys down. They don't know how to do it. They go back to their church. They pray, and the ground shakes. And so here is what I want you to see is the renewal is from the filling of the Holy Spirit. The renewing of the Holy Spirit, the mission always involves words. And on the way, the Lord gives courage. This is important because I don't think there's a person in here that if I ask you, would you like to be a courageous person that lives a courageous life, you would go, no, I think I'm going to pass on that. I think most of us want to raise courageous children. And to raise courageous children, we have to be courageous people. So let's talk about what that means. So they get the attention of some really important people. Like this is a big deal that's happening in the temple and priests and then the temple police and the Sadducees, they all show up. In fact, 11 different groups of individuals opposing these two followers of Jesus showed up. There were priests, there were Sadducees, there were rulers, there were elders, there were scribes, all from other families, from the high priests. There was captain of the temple guards, Ananias and the high priests, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. And instead of going through that whole list of what a Sadducee is and what is a high priest, let me try to put it in a nutshell so we can get to the heart of what I want to talk about this morning. Ananias was called the high priest, but historically we know he wasn't the high priest at that time. But he had the title of high priest, like let's say that Barack Obama came in here, we would call him President Obama. He's not the president anymore, but he still holds the title of president. Same with Ananias, because actually Caiaphas, who was Ananias' son-in-law, was actually the new high priest. Doesn't that seem odd to you? Wait, how did that happen? High priest, son-in-law, high priest. And then we look at the two other guys there, John Alexander. Many historians believe they were the sons of Ananias. In fact, what you're witnessing in this story was there was one family that had collected so much power in the temple that they controlled everything. This was like the Godfather. You ever seen the movie Godfather? The Godfather has shown up and he's got the family. It's all about the familia, you know? And he's showing up and they're not confused about who's got power here. They're not confused about it at all. We control everything here. Nothing happens outside of us letting it happen. In fact, they are so powerful that they said, let me show you how powerful we are. We don't want to deal with you tonight. We have dinner plans. We're just going to put you in prison. And they throw Peter, John, and the guy that they healed in prison. No charges. Temple guards, just take them. Throw them in prison. We'll deal with them tomorrow. I'm not feeling up to it tonight. That's power. Let's think about this just for a minute. What would be the state of mind of you or me? Like, have you ever been in a situation where you were with somebody that had that kind of power over you and they weren't for you? Like, maybe you've tasted a little bit. Have you ever been pulled over by the police? You guys are amazing drivers. (laughs) There have been a couple of times in my life, I'll share this with you, okay, since you've not experienced it. It is a horrifying feeling to be driving along and then see blue lights in your rearview mirror. It's, you know, you don't go into a worship song at that moment. It's, oh, something, but it's not, oh, Jesus, all right? And because, why? Because you know, 
I, I, there's somebody with authority now that wants my attention immediately and they have the power, certain power to come in. It's like, have you ever been asked to uh, go to the principal's office and you didn't know why? Uh, or has your boss ever sent a message to you, your boss wants to see you? Somebody with authority over you that you're not absolutely certain that they have your goodwill at heart. So when we were in Africa this summer, we were in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And you may not know this, but uh, there's a bunch of wars going on. There's a lot of warring tribes in Congo and they're all fighting each other. And uh, we went there with African leadership who trains pastors. So we were in Goma, which is a huge major city under the government's authority and run by the military. Uh, and Dennis, the pastor that we we're working with, one day he says, we're gonna go visit our pastor training class outside of Goma. And so we're going, and I'm like, Dennis, where are we going? He goes, we're going into the rebel territory. So we're leaving government controlled and going to their enemies to go out to the rebel camp to meet these pastors that are being trained. And we pull up to a checkpoint. And it's, it's this like makeshift, like, you know, something blocking the road. But it looked like a bunch of Hillsborough High School juniors that were running the checkpoint. A bunch of teenagers. And they all got AK-47s over their shoulders and guns and machetes strapped to their body. And we're pulling up and they look at the car and go, give us your passports. And I'm like, okay, the government does not recognize your authority, but you have complete authority over the situation right now. I am completely in your control. Like, you guys could drag us off into the bush and we would never be seen again and nobody would know who did. You are in control. And that was a scary moment. That was a scary moment. I know many of you accuse me of never finishing stories. Uh, so I'll finish this one, all right? Just, it doesn't make the point. But uh, the driver said to these young men, uh, these are pastors. And he said, y'all hold up your Bibles. And we held up our Bibles. And... Uh, they immediately gave us our passports back and opened the gate because they're holy men. These are holy men. Um, and that the Lord carries, <laughs> thank God, I don't know, maybe it's superstition. Maybe that wasn't the Lord at all. But we got through that situation. But it was scary. So how is it that Peter and John, fishermen, were not scared in this situation? The Bible tells us they were filled by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Because if you've been around for a while, you know that what we, we teach here and what we study from Scripture in Romans chapter 8, if you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Like, if you have become a Christian, if you have asked Christ to forgive you for your sins, you've asked him now to breathe life into you. The life that he breathed into you is the life of the Spirit. What was dead, which was our spirit, before we knew Christ, now was brought to life. The old is gone, the new has come. And in this newness, we are filled by the Holy Spirit. That's why we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and we don't have a temple anymore. Like in Jerusalem, we don't have, we don't, we're the temple. That's why we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the place that God dwells, not in this room or that stained glass window up there. It's in us. And what we know from Romans chapter eight is if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit says that every promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. And the Spirit teaches us that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And if that's true, that means if John wrote was to become a Christian right now, you're ready to convert, brother? All right, he's been a Christian for a long time. But let's say he became a Christian today. 
He would have as much of the spirit today as I have after following Jesus for like three years. Like, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's like, it, it's hard to believe, but it's not like you get like a super dose of the ghost when you become a, a Christian and then you kind of grow into more. No, when you become a Christian, your cup is full to the top. So if that's true, then what does it mean that Peter was filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, in Ephesians chapter five, uh, this is verse 18 and 19. Paul, I love Paul because he uses an illustration not to, uh, he's not giving us this verse to teach us what not to do. He's using it as an illustration to better understand what we're talking about. In Ephesians 5, it says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. He's using an illustration that he's like, every one of you can understand this. Except for you guys, right? You never speed and you've never tasted wine. I get it. Bunch of Christians. Uh, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, that Greek word there, to be filled, is an interesting word because it's it's in in the present mode, it's in the passive mode, and it's also in the imperative mode, which means if it's in the present mode, that means right now. If it's in the passive mode, it means that I have nothing to do with it. It's something that's happening to me that's foreign from my agency. But then it says imperative, which is a command. So how can you say this is passive and at the same time you're commanding me to be filled? This is weird. Like, how is that possible? So let me try to explain it. And I'm going to need John Markham to help me. John, would you want to come up on the stage? Do y'all know John? He is a manly man. Do, you, do any of y'all know John Markham? John Markham's one of our elders and uh, a really good guy. I love this guy. And let me just ask you a question. Is there any part of you that you left at home today? No. So is it safe for us to say that every bit of John Markham is right here on the stage? Yes. This is it. Yeah. You cannot go anywhere in this world and get more of John Markham than you can get right now. He's here. He is right here. Like, come over here. Like, he was there, but now he's here. (laughs) And if I go over here and say, would you come over here? He was there, but now he's here. Every bit of him, 100%, nothing lacking. This is John Markham, right? I know. (laughs) Hug me. No, I mean, go for it, bro. Okay, okay wait. Let me, let me get ready for this. Wait. Okay, go for it. All right, go for it. Go for it. Okay, yes. Well, thank you. You can have a seat. That was awesome. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Peter experienced. Peter didn't get more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit got more of Peter. See, if I didn't want him to hug me, I'm not sure he'd have caught me. Maybe he would have. He's pretty fast. But I think what Scripture's talking about here is not me getting more of the Spirit. I have the Spirit. It's allowing the Spirit to have more of me. And how do we do that? How do we let the Spirit have more of us? Well, 
we have to kind of step back because in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it talks about how we come to faith. It says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And hey, this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Like we are saved simply because of God's grace and our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Peter preached about this in chapter three of Acts, he actually uh, talked about Jesus and he, he commanded everybody, repent, confess your sins and believe. What he's showing us here is what it says in Colossians chapter two, in the same way you came to know the Lord, now live. That our life is a life of confession repenting and believing. Let's follow that again. My life with the Holy Spirit is a life of confessing, repenting, and believing. And this is crazy. This whole idea of me becoming radically honest with the parts of my life that I need to confess, that I need to repent, and I need to believe Jesus in. And let me take you through this. In, in Psalm chapter 32, it said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are not counted against them anyway. And listen to what he says in verse three. When I kept silent, I didn't confess. I didn't repent. Therefore, I had no opportunity to believe. When I kept silence, my bones wasted away. Though my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was zapped in the heat of summer. Why was his hand heavy on me? Because I wasn't confessing, I wasn't repenting, and I wasn't believing. Why is God so obsessed with me confessing? Why does he want me to get ruthlessly honest about my need for Jesus? Because we say this oftentimes, you're a lot worse than you think you are. And a part of the grace of God is, is confessing and being honest with yourself about that place where you deeply need grace because that's the place you're going to experience grace. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, it says, if you claim to be without sin, in other words, if you have no confession in your life and you have no repentance, you're basically saying, I'm, I'm good. I don't really have sin. Scripture says, if that is you, you are deceived. Why? You're deceived by yourself. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We actively have deceived ourselves and the truth has nothing in us. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we don't, we are deceived. And it's the work of sin. Because you know that that's all sin is, is the great deception. Because when sin comes in, it's, it's making promises to you that only God can fulfill. So, I mean, think about a person. Let's say that there's a person here that's having an affair that no, nobody knows about. Somewhere along the line, that person decided, this is a good choice for me. It is a better choice for me to invest time, energy, thought, so much money and so much work to cover it up, hide it, keep it away from everybody else than it is to take all that energy and pour that into my marriage. And we can step back and go, for those of us that are sane, we look at that and go, that's crazy. You have deceived yourself into thinking that's where life is found. And when scripture comes in, it says, I want to rescue you from that deception. I want to rescue you from holding yourself away from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
So we confess, we repent, and then we believe. And James is so serious about it. Have I lost you guys? You with me? James is so committed about it. He goes, practice doing that with each other. What? Yes. James says, do you know that when you get brutally honest with yourself, that's one thing. But when you share it with another person, just take my word from experience. It heals you. And it also heals the person you're sharing to. I've seen it every time. Works every time. When somebody gets brutally honest and says, this, this is where, what's really going on in my heart, what's really going on in my life, it heals them to speak it out because the person with them is healed by hearing it. So J- James says, confess your sins one another. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 1, you can go study this. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It talks about this glorious perception of maturity. Or, yeah, this 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 list of how to mature in our faith. And it says, but it all gets sabotaged when you do one thing. Everything for you to mature in your faith is sabotaged by one thing. And it says, when you've become nearsighted and blind and forgotten that you have been forgiven from all your sins. Because that's what deception does, is when I don't confess, I don't repent, I close my eyes to the reality that Christ has paid for everything. I am forgiven. He has thrown my sin as far as the east is from the west. Shame has no more claim on me. I am his. You see, I digress when I deceive myself. Then I practice to deceive you. And then I walk in that deception and it blinds me from the gifts of God. When I confess, repent, and believe, it renews my hunger for the Holy Spirit to have more of me. That's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And then I dare you not to talk about it. And here's a crazy thing. If we had time this morning, we could say, hey, raise your hand if you've ever had a moment where God has just moved on you like thunder. Like has just, boom, changed your life. Like changed your perspective, healed you, or brought you under deep conviction. And just in that process of healing and confession made you new. We could go around the room and everybody would share that moment. And here's what I promise you. If you shared it today, we're not the first person to hear about it. Because you can't stop talking about it. I'd challenge you to. We can't. That's natural. What's not natural is this right here. Courage. So can we talk about it? Man, we got like five minutes. One of my favorite things to talk about. I'm going to lean heavily on a writer. Her name is Brene Brown. Uh, Maybe some of you know her. Let me just give you this caveat. Anytime I quote somebody, whether it's Brendan Manning or whoever, Henry Nowen, I'm not, I just hope you all know, I'm not endorsing everything about them, you know? So if you go catch a video of Brene and you go, Brandy believes that? Well, I hope what I believe is what scripture believes. And that's why we're always in scripture. But just take this by grace, okay? <clears throat> and she talks about courage in, uh, I think, her book, Daring Greatly, um, The Gift of Imperfection. I think she talks about this in both those books, actually. And she talks about that courage, the, the root word for courage is a Latin word, that the root of that word is core, which means heart. And what, what courage originally meant was someone that had something that's true about them in their heart and they actually allowed what was on the inside to make its way to the outside. That's courage. 
that who you truly are is actually brought to the surface in front of other people. She goes on to talk about the reason that's so difficult in the world that we live in is because we all live with a working knowledge of our imperfections. In fact, she calls them not enoughs. That we all have a list that we're not enough. We're not rich enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good looking enough. You know, whatever. We're not funny enough. You know, we don't have enough friends. We don't have enough people calling me. I don't have enough people following me on Instagram. Not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. And when those not enoughs begin to accumulate in my life and begin to get so big in my life, instead of living who I truly am on the outside, now I begin to self-protect by becoming a pleaser, by becoming a perfecter, or becoming a performer. The three Ps. Let me say them again. We become a pleaser, just keep everybody happy. We become a perfecter, never make a mistake, be perfect in everything you do. Don't mess up or somebody might see behind the mask. Or finally, we're performers that will be whatever you want me to be so that you don't ever take time to look at who I really am. And we all have this in us. And it's like, it's like this voice just wants to crawl up and just grab us and control us. So on Friday, Renee said, hey, our sink is leaking in the kitchen. Can you fix it? And I said, yes, I can. I know nothing about plumbing, but I know how to find YouTube. And so I Googled search and I was like, oh, okay. So I took this part out of the faucet and I went to Home Depot and they were like, nope, we don't carry that part here. You're gonna have to go to this place. So I went to that place and they said, no, huh, we don't carry that part here. Why would you think we would carry that part here? I'm like, okay, easy does it, all right? And then finally they sent me to the motherland of all plumbing parts. Like, this is where they grow plumber's crack. Like, this is, this is it. This is, you walk in, there's nothing fancy, no nothing. The windows are all covered in reflective glass because they don't want any of the sun to come in because it is a dark world, the plumbing world. And I'm not knowing what's going to happen. I open the door and there's a long counter, the length of this room, and behind it are all these plumbers just waiting, and I was the only person in the room, like all these plumbers that are working there, and they all look at me, and just look at me, and I'm immediately insecure. (laughs) So one of them says, can I help you? So I make my way to the most friendly face, and he goes, "Uh, how can I help you? And I said, well, I have a leak in my kitchen sink, and I need some help. And I showed him the part and he goes, yeah, that's not from a sink, that's from a faucet. And immediately I'm like, this is true. You are correct. I stand corrected. And he goes, what kind of faucet is it from? What what he was asking was, what's the brand name? What I heard was, what kind of faucet? And to watch the face of all the plumbers when I said, you know, it's that loopy kind that goes over your kitchen sink. And they're looking at each other like, seriously? He said, no, I mean the brand. And I said, this is really how I answered it. I said, hey man, I really don't know. It's silver, does that help? See, I was incredibly insecure in that moment and I felt like pretending and hiding and pleasing, you know, because I felt shame in my inadequacy 
in the plumber's place. But I, I feel that at work. I feel that in relationships. I feel that in marriage. I feel that in parenting. I feel my imperfection in every place that I go. And if I feel that imperfection in every place that I go and I am committed to pretending, what are the three Ps? Pretending, perfecting, and performing, then here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna avoid every situation that's uncertain. Uncertain situations, I am gonna avoid them like the plague. I'm also gonna avoid any risk, any kind of risky situation, and I am going to completely avoid any possibility of being exposed. Being vulnerable is not on the table because that's way too much exposure. If I am committed to pleasing, perfecting, and performing, I'll avoid situations that are uncertain, situations that are risky, and situations that are gonna possibly expose me. And here's what Peter displays for us. Courage is when the Holy Spirit comes in and exposes all of that and sets us free. See, when Peter got up to preach, he said, the Jesus that you rejected, the Jesus you rejected, is the one who rose again. Do you realize three days earlier, Peter was the one that had rejected Jesus. Three days earlier, he was, before the the rooster crowed three times, he had rejected Jesus. And he was so shame-filled that he goes, enough of this Jesus stuff. I'm done with being a disciple. I'm gonna go fish. I'm just gonna go fishing. You guys go do whatever you wanna do, but I am done. I don't wanna know anything. I've wasted three years following this guy. I am done. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came after him. And Jesus got him on the shore and you should go read it because Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? And Jesus, Peter says, I don't know. Like, you want me to be honest with you? I don't know if I love you. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you asked me that a minute ago. I don't know. Third time. He said, I, Jesus, you know everything. I know nothing. Confession. Repentance. Listen to this. Peter, I love you. Peter had courage because the Holy Spirit filled him and said, hey, Peter, it's not your love for Jesus that gives you courage. It's his love for you that gives you courage. It's him with you that gives you courage to walk into uncertainty, to walk into risk, and to walk into exposure and know that you are profoundly loved. Well, at the end of the story, we don't have time. I got I to stop now. Is the church prayed and they shook the the Holy Spirit shook the ground and then they went out boldly. And what would that look like for you today? To say in confession and in repentance, being filled by the Holy Spirit who gives me words about his work in my life and gives me courage. What does it look like for us to go out of here in courage? Like crazy bold kind of courage, like Peter showed. So Friday, I called my son and I said, okay, I'm done not living in the watch world what kind of watch do I need to get? And he goes, you need to go get an Apple. All right. So I go to the Apple store. These are cool watches, no doubt. And I go into the Apple store. I had no idea there were so many choices. Like there are apples everywhere. And I'm standing at the table with a group of like 21 year olds. And they're all looking at the Apple Ultra. Do you know what that is? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Like (laughs) I'm not the only one that doesn't get out. All right. It's like the ultimate Apple watch. It's like $800. Like it's like surfers wear it. You know? And they're all looking at it and oohing and on. And I said, y'all like that watch? And they're like, yeah. And I said, man, you ought to buy one. Buy me one too. And I was just, you know, kind of joking with them. I said, yeah, come on, man, dude, buy them. 
And uh, they all laughed, like, we can't afford one. We're not going to buy one. And kind of the ringleader leans in before they're walking away, and he goes, hey, man, you only live once. Buy it. Filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Gives us words. Courage. I looked at him and I said, hey, bro, who told you you only live once? And he froze. And his friends all came around like, what do we do with this guy? <laughs> and they're, ha, 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 ha. And I was like, come on, man. Come on, let's go. Let's go, let's spar. I want you to answer that question. And he, they just walked away. I know. And then the Apple genius walked up. And she's like this 50-year-old woman. And she leans in and she goes, okay who are you? And then we started talking about the Lord. And what what I'm saying is, I'm not trying to say, look what happened. Uh, Randy, you know, the glory needs to go to the Lord, but he blesses us. And when he blesses us, he blesses us with the courage, the courage, not anchored in our goodness. We confess, repent, believe our courage is anchored in his goodness, his love for us, his grace for us. So that I now have the courage to live out loud what is true about me on the inside in uncertain places and risky places and even the places where I'm threatened to be exposed because courage allows me to do that so that I can be on mission. You ready? Okay. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the fun of this morning and for Peter and John, just fishermen who you used to astound the world when you gave them courage men that confessed uh, their denial of you and then became champions of how you met them in their brokenness and denial. Men that were once lame, but now walk, but not only walk, they dance. And I pray, Father, that you would give us now the grace to come out of hiding. That as we're about to sing, that Lord, you'd lead us into confession like ruthless, honest confession. Lead us into love-filled repentance and faith to meet us, that you meet us in that place. Lead us in that, I pray, in Christ's name.